Hi, and welcome to BJGP Interviews today. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Laura Jefferson, who is a research fellow within the Department of Health Sciences at the University of York. We've spoken to Laura previously about a different piece of research, but today we're going to discuss a paper that she has written with her colleagues titled Exploring Gender Differences in the Uptake of GP Partnership Roles, a Qualitative Mixed Methods Study. So thanks, Laura, for joining us here today. Um, This paper is going out in our gender-themed issue in July, and what an interesting study to look at and talk about today. So just talk us through the background of this research. Are women underrepresented as GP partners? And what do we know about the differences between earnings between women and men GPs? Um, Yeah, so I was really interested to see this um, research proposal coming through. So I work on a programme of research where we're directly commissioned by the Department of Health and Social Care. Um, And they asked us to do this research in response to the Mend the Gap report, which um, was the report that the BMA published um, looking at the gender pay gap in medicine. And general practice was actually the specialty with the largest gender pay gap. So it was 35 percent unadjusted in general practice. Um, And that's actually one of the highest of any UK profession. So even when you adjust for hours of work and age and experience, there was still a gender pay gap of 15% in general practice. So when you look at um, the breakdown of the the GP workforce, you can see that there's 53% of GPs are women, um, if you're looking at full-time equivalents. Um, but actually, of, of the GP partners, there's only 41% are partners. So the authors of, of the Mend the Gap report kind of suggested that if we model to increase more um, partnership uptake amongst women, um, because it's associated with higher pay and profit sharing, um, then the gender pay gap would be reduced. Great. So talk us what through what you did here. You did a secondary analysis of some interviews Uh, You led some focus groups and then you also did a social media analysis. Yeah, so it was a really nice opportunity to do a mixed methods piece of research. So we already had um, GP interview data from another piece of work that we did um, during the pandemic. And we knew that within that data set, there were a lot of themes around careers and um, progression and, and workload. Um, So we used that data set to inform the development of um, a social media analysis and then a um, focus group study. Um, So with the social media analysis, I have a colleague that specialises in that. And she um, extracted GP's accounts from Twitter over the past, I think it was two years. Um, And from that, we were able to search for tweets that were relating to partnerships. So that gave us a sample of 232 GPs that were tweeting about partnerships where we were able to look at their gender as well. So we did a gender comparison of their tweets and then we um, did the focus groups, which was with 50 GPs. And we did that using a novel method, um, which is the asynchronous online focus group method, which is a really nice um, way to try and engage um, people like health professionals that don't necessarily have the time to be in the same place at the same time as each other. So so it was really nice to do that with this group of GPs. Um, So that works in a way 
that we have um we had like a, a five-day period where we um allowed them to log into a portal where they're able to share their experiences in um, times that suited them, basically, um, which was great and and really helped us engage with those 50 GPs because it's quite challenging, obviously, at the moment for GPs to find time to take part in research. Yeah, that's really interesting. So thinking about more innovative ways to work around the realistic work schedules of people working in general practice. Yeah, definitely. And we had some really good feedback um, from the participants about um, using that method. Um, mm. Yeah, that was really great. Interesting. So talk us through some of the main findings. And I wonder if we could just talk about them in turn. Um, it's The results are split into different levels. So could we just start with the individual level findings? So if we look at the literature that, that looks at um, gender barriers in, in career progression generally, much of the literature kind of focuses on caring responsibilities and kind mm. of historically gendered roles in the home um but for women they were kind of more like cultural expectations that that had kind of continued over time um where women's kind of lower comparative earnings compared to men even in relationships with dual doctor marriages meant that they had um lower earnings and so they were kind of less incentivized to increase their hours and there was less ability to kind of balance and offset the costs of childcare. So mm. women described um, working um, less than full time um, because childcare costs were so high and, and their lower earnings meant that it wasn't as beneficial for them to do that. Um, there was a really interesting quote from a female salary GP. Shall I read it? Out yeah, to absolutely. I really, I really like this one. She said, it feels as though we spend our 20s training, 30s having babies, 40s doubting ourselves and feeling our male counterparts have already taken all the leadership roles and 50s wanting to retire. Yeah, I think that quote re- would resonate with a lot of women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really nailed it on the head. Yeah, so so those were the kind of issues that, that came through in terms of work-life balance, but also balancing childcare costs and um, there were also themes around um, workload and, and um, trying to balance their, their well-being and maintaining that. Um, women were less motivated to take on the additional roles associated with partnerships, so greater sort of administrative and HR responsibilities and business roles. And, and that was sometimes to protect their own um, mental health and well-being. There were also themes around a kind of gendered work. So women tended to take on more like women's health um, and children's appointments. Um, and, and also amongst partners, women tended to take on more of the kind of caring roles within practices of like supporting their teams. Um, and so they described those as being associated with more workload. And I guess aside from the individual level issues that women faced when thinking about partnership in the paper you also describe some of the organizational level things so was that organizational at the level of the practices yeah so some some of it was like kind of practice levels in terms of um there were issues with um like contracting arrangements um so the bma has guidance on salaried contracts but the contracts for partners um just can vary across the board and um, so some women talked about experiencing periods where they're on maternity leave and they might be paying for locums at the same time, which meant that then they're actually earning comparatively less to like salaried or even trainee colleagues. 
but also quite alarmingly an, an, a lot of um, discriminatory sort of practices, um, overt sexism, um, differential behaviours from, from colleagues, administrative staff, and patients and and that's affected women's um, kind of willingness to put themselves forward for partnership roles I think one of yeah one of the women was talking about how someone treated her differently when she had babies was that right yeah yeah that's it yeah and, and another was talking about how she just had a baby but was still considering partnership and she's spoken to a male partner colleague about it and um He'd kind of said, well, well, maybe it's not a good time for you at the moment because he just presumed that she wouldn't want to do that. All sorts of um, challenges at that kind of organisational level, which also feeds into the kind of societal um, gendered norms that we still um, have, shockingly, in 2023. And at a national level, what were the themes that you found around women in partnership roles? Um, so there was... Um, a lot of discussion about the kind of political climate that was ongoing, well, still ongoing now. This, we did this research a year ago, but at the time that we did the research, there was a lot of discussion around um, will the partnership model still be continued? Um, there was a senior national figure that was suggesting um, that um, they might do away with the partnership model. So that that kind of created an awful lot of risk um, for people considering men and women considering taking on partnerships. Obviously, there's a financial risk of of joining a partnership, um, which women were less inclined to take on. Um, but there were also issues in terms of a kind of patient level nationally. Um, patients' expectations have, have changed over time, um, and we saw that in our um, work on GP wellbeing during the pandemic as well. Um, how I think GPs move into um, that specialty because they want to have um, good relationships with their patients. They want to have, a, they get a kind of sense of esteem through their work. But if um, the work that they're doing isn't regarded or, or well respected by patients and, and their expectations changed, um, then, then that obviously impacts on GPs' willingness to um go the extra mile, put in the extra hours that's associated with partnership. Um, there was a really nice quote from a GP um, that said that um, there was a cradle to grave service with the demands of an Amazon Prime instant delivery service, um, which really summarised a lot of sentiment that we got through um, from this study. I suppose, I mean, there are lots of findings here about some of the barriers and maybe facilitators around women thinking about partnerships. But what do you think the take-home message is here for people working in primary care or for those who want to support women who are thinking about taking up a partnership? I think, well, I think there's things that people can do um, within their local settings um, so we can all support each other um, and, and kind of recognise the challenges that people are facing in general practice at the moment. Um, and that those challenges for women are often existing alongside uh, additional challenges outside of work, which our research and, and a wealth of sociological literature shows is different for women. So we need to empower women and um, have those positive role models that, that can um, support them. But empowering women is just one step, really, um, unless this kind of structural systemic issues are addressed. There's, there's no point in empowering women if, if, if they then, 
for example, take on a partnership role, but their contracts mean that they're um, at more risk financially. Um, so there needs to be kind of national changes to um, contractual arrangements. There needs to be more kind of mentorship schemes and, and promotion of the new to partnership um, payment schemes are really positive potential um, mechanism to try and support men and women moving in, into partnership but it's it's not very well known our, our research showed that not very many people knew about it they kind of were concerned about handing back the money that was given if if they decided partnership wasn't for them um, so there needs to be those kind of steps and policy steps at, at different levels I think and that's why we've tried to present our research looking at individual organizational and national factors. Mm -hmm. One aside from this research is that we're coming up to a general election next year and if a Labour government is successful in having a majority they've indicated that they don't see the partnership model as viable in general practice. Do you think that potentially the end of the partnership model could actually help flatten out some of these inequalities between gender and pay gap? Um, yes, it's possible. I think if you asked GP partners, then they would say, no, 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 we can't end the partnership model because what our research showed is that amongst partners, they say that there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes work that is outside of paid hours they're kind of propping up general practice so there's real concerns there that if they're not um, financially rewarded as as they are through partnerships to do that work then then where will that work go I guess you could look at Scotland where they've changed the partnership model um, a few years ago um, so that there's security of, of income and there's um, better support from HR and, and those sorts of things being managed through um, the acute trusts um, or the NHS, um, the hospital boards in Scotland. Um, so, so you could look to that system to see how effective has that been. But I think as a researcher, we're often um, kind of flabbergasted that policies are implemented without real evaluation. So perhaps there needs to be more done to try and evaluate and, and test these things um, in, in different settings before their kind of a broad brush approach is applied. Wise words indeed, I think. That's really helpful, Laura. And I just wanted to say thanks again for joining us here today and talking about this really interesting research, which I think has implications not only at individual and practice levels, but as you mentioned, um, highlights the need for more structural change. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. It's great to talk. And thank you all very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. And as I mentioned, the July issue of the BJGP is themed around gender health and has a great range of original research, editorials and think pieces around the interactions between gender and health. And it's well worth a flip through the issue from front to back. Thanks again for listening and bye.